Chapter Twenty Six of A Spinner in the Sun by Myrtle Reed. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. A Spinner in the Sun by Myrtle Reed. Chapter Twenty Six The Lifting of the Veil. From afar, at the turn of night, came the pipes opan the wild mysterious strain which had first summoned evelina from pain to peace at the sound she sat up in bed her heavy lustreless white hair falling about her shoulders she guessed that piper tom was out upon the highway with his peddler's pack strapped to his sturdy back as in a vision she saw him marching onward from place to place to make the world easier for all women because a woman had given him life and because he loved another woman in another way was it always to be so she wondered should she forever thirst while others drank while others loved must she eternally stand aside heart-hungry unyielding fate confronted her veiled inscrutably but she guessed that the veil concealed a mocking smile out of her nessus robe of agony evelina had emerged with one truth whatever is may not be right but it is the outcome of deep and far-reaching forces with which our finite hands may not meddle the problem has but one solution adjustment hedged in by the iron bars of circumstance as surely as a bird within his cage it remains for the individual to choose whether he will beat his wings against the bars until he dies or take his place serenely on the perch ordained for him and sing within his cage the bird may do as he likes he may sleep or eat or bathe or wet his beak uselessly against the cuttle-bone thrust between the bars he may hop about endlessly and chirp salutations to other birds likewise caged or he may try his eager wings in a flight which is little better than no flight at all his cage may be a large one yet if he explores far enough he will most surely bruise his body against the bars of circumstance with beak and claws and constant toil he may perhaps force an opening in the bars wide enough to get through slowly and with great discomfort he has gained however only a larger cage if he is a wise bird he settles down and tries to become satisfied with his surroundings even to gather pleasure from the gilt wires and the cuttle-bone thrust picturesquely between them when the seagull wings his majestic way past his habitation free as the wind itself the wise bird will close his eyes and affect not to see so also will the gull for there is no loneliness comparable with unlimited freedom upon the heights the great ones stand alone to the dweller in the valley those distant peaks are clad in more than mortal splendor time and distance veil the jagged cliffs and hide the precipices day comes first to the peaks and lingers there longest while it is night in the valley there is still afterglow upon the hills perhaps some dweller in the valley longs for the height and sets forth heeding not the eager hands that selfishly as it seems would keep him within their loving reach having once turned his face upward he does not falter even for the space of a backward look he finds that the way is steep that there is no place to rest and that the comfort and shelter of the valley are unknown the sun burns him and the cold freezes his very blood for there are only extremes on the way to the peak glittering wastes of ice dazzle him and snow blinds him with terror and not with beauty as from below the opaline mists are gone and he sees with dreadful clearness the path which lies immediately ahead beyond there is emptiness vast as the desert at the timberline he pauses and for the first time looks back ah how fair the valley lies below him the silvery ribbon of the river winds through a pageantry of green and gold 
upon the banks are woodland nooks fragrant with growing things and filled with a tender quiet broken only by the murmur of the stream the turf is soft and cool to the wayfarer's tired feet and there is crystal water in abundance to quench his thirst but from the peak no traveller returns for the way is hopelessly cut off above the timber-line there is only a waste of rock worn by vast centuries in which every day is an ordinary lifetime into small jagged stones that cut the feet the crags are thunderswept and blown by cataclysmic storms of which the dwellers in the valley have never dreamed in the unspeakable loneliness the pilgrim abides forever with his mocking wreath of laurel cheered only by a rumbling reverberant all hail which comes at age-long intervals from some peak before whose infinite distance his finite sight fails at intervals throughout the day miss evelina heard the piper's flute always from the hills each time it brought her comfort for she knew that as yet he had not gone once she fancied that he had gone long ago and some woodland deity magically transported from ancient greece had taken his place late in the afternoon she heard it once but so far and faintly that she guessed it was for the last time in her garden there were flowers blooming luxuriantly from their swaying censers fragrant incense filled the air the weeds had been taken out and no trace was left from the garden of her heart the weeds were gone too but there were no flowers rue and asphodel had been replaced by lavender and rosemary the deadly black poppy had been uprooted and where it had grown there were spikenard and balm yet as the piper had said she asked for roses and it is not every garden in which roses will bloom at dusk she went out into her transformed garden where once the thorns had held her back the paths were straight and smooth dense undergrowth and clinging vines no longer made her steps difficult piper tom had made her garden right and opened before her clearly the way of her soul in spite of the beauty there was desolation because the cheery presence had gone to return no more her loneliness was so acute that it was almost pain and yet the pain was bearable because he had taught her how to endure and to look beyond fairy-like the white moths fluttered through the garden and the crickets piped cheerily miss evelina stopped her ears that she might not hear the piping rude reminder as it was of music that should come no more but even so she could not shut out remembrance with a flash of her old resentment she recalled how everything upon which she had ever depended had been taken away from her almost immediately no sooner had she learned the sweetness of clinging than she had been forced to stand alone one by one the supports had been removed until she stood alone desolate and wretched indeed but alone of such things as these self-reliance is made suddenly the still air seemed to stir a sound that was neither breath nor music so softly was it blown echoed in from the hills then came another and another merest hints of melody till at last she started up trembling surely these distant flutings were the pipes opan she set herself to listen her tiny hands working convulsively nearer and nearer the music came singing of wind and stream and mountain the music that had no tune no sooner had it become clear than it ceased altogether but an hour or so afterward when the moon had risen there was a familiar step upon the road outside veiled evelina went to the gate and met piper tom whose red feather was aloft in his hat again and whose flute was slung over his shoulder by its accustomed cord his peddler's pack was not to be seen i thought you had gone she said i had he answered but tis not written i'm thinking that a man may not change his mind as well as a woman
My heart would not let my feet go away from you until I knew for sure whether or not you were mocking me last night. Mocking you? No. Surely you know I would never do that. No, I do not know. The ways of women are strange, I'm thinking, past all finding out. In truth, it would be stranger if you were not mocking me than it ever could be if you were. Tell me, he pleaded. Ah, tell me what you are meaning, in words so plain that I can understand. Come, said Evelina. Come to where we were sitting last night, and I will tell you. He followed her back to the maple beside the broken wall, where the two chairs still faced each other. He leaned forward, resting his elbows on his knees, and looked at her so keenly that she felt, in spite of the darkness and her veil, that he must see her face. Piper Tom, she said, when you came to me, I was the most miserable woman on earth. I had been most cruelly betrayed, and sorrow seized upon me when I was not strong enough to stand it. It preyed upon me until it became an obsession. It possessed me absolutely, and from it there was no escape but death. I know, answered the piper. I found the bottle that had held the dreamless sleep. I'm thinking you had thrown it away. Yes, I had thrown it away, but only because I was too proud to die at his door. Do you understand? Yes, I'm thinking I understand, but go on. You've not told me whether or no you mocked me. What did you mean? I meant, said Evelina steadfastly, that if you cared for the woman you have led out of the shadow of the cypress, and for all that was in her heart to give you, she was yours, not only out of gratitude, but because you have put trust into a heart that has known no trust since its betrayal, and because, where trust is, there may some day come more. Her voice sank almost to a whisper, but Piper Tom heard it. He took her hand in his own, and she felt him tremble. She was the strong one now. Spin it in the sun, he began huskily. Were you meaning that you'd go with me when I took the highway again and help me make the world easier for everybody with a hurt heart? Yes, she answered. You called me and I came, for always. Were you meaning that you'd face the storms and the cold with me and take no heed of the rain? that you'd live on the coarse fare I could pick up from day to day and never mind it? Yes, I meant all that. Were you meaning, perhaps, that you'd make a home for me? Ah, oh, spin it in the sun. It takes a woman to make a home. Yes, I'd make a home or go gypsying with you, just as you choose. The piper laughed with inexpressible tenderness. You know, I'm thinking... That would be a home, and not gypsying. That I'd not let you face anything I could shield you from. Evelina laughed, too. A low, sweet laugh. <laughs> yes, I know, she said. The piper turned away, struggling with temptation. At length he came back to her. Tis wrong of me, I'm thinking, but... I take you as a man takes heaven, and we'll do the work together. "'Tis as though I had risen from the dead "'and the gates of Pearl were open "'with all the angels of God beckoning me in.'" In the exaltation that was upon him, he had no thought of profaning her by a touch. She stood apart from him as something high and holy, enthroned in a sacred place. "'Beloved,' he pleaded, "'will you be coming with me now to the place where I saw you first? 
"'Tis night now, and then twas day, but I'm thinking the words are wrong. "'Tis day now, with the sun and moon and stars all shining at once, "'and suns that I never saw before. Will you come?' "'I'll go wherever you lead me,' she answered. "'While you hold my hand in yours, I can never be afraid.' They went through the night together, taking the shorter way over the hills. She stumbled and he took her hand, his own still trembling. "'Close your beautiful eyes,' he whispered and trust me to lead you though she did not close her eyes she gave herself wholly to his guidance noting how he chose for himself the rougher places to give her the easier path he pushed aside the undergrowth before her lifted her gently over damp hollows and led her around the stones at last they came to the woods that opened out upon the upper river road where she had stood the day she had been splashed with mud from anthony dexter's wheels and at the same instant had heard the mysterious flutings from afar they entered near the hill to which her long wandering had led her, and at the foot of it the piper paused. You'll have no fear, I'm thinking, since the moon makes the clearing as bright as day, and I'll not be letting you out of my sight. I have a fancy to stand upon yonder level place, and call you as I called you once before. Only this time the heart of me will dance to my own music, for I know you'll be coming all the while I play. He left her and clambered up the hill to the narrow ledge which sloped back and was surrounded with pines. He kept in the open spaces so that the moonlight was always upon him, and she did not lose sight of him more than once or twice, and then only for a moment. The hill was not a high one, and the ascent was very gradual. Within a few minutes he had gained his place. Clear and sweet through the moonlit forest rang out the pipes of Pan, singing of love and joy. Never before had the piper's flute given forth such music as this. The melody was as instinctive as the mating call of a thrush, as crystalline as a mountain stream, and as pure as the snow from whence the stream had come. Evelina climbed to meet him, her face and heart uplifted. The silvery notes dropped about her like rain as she ascended, strangely glad and strangely at peace. When she reached the level place where he was standing, his face illumined with unspeakable joy. He dropped his flute and opened his arms. My spinner in the sun, he whispered. I called you, and you came. Yes, she answered from his close embrace. You called me, and I have come. For always. At last he released her, and they stood facing each other. The piper was stirred to the depths of his soul. Last night I dreamed, he said. And t'was the dream that brought me back. It was a little place, with a brook close by, and almost too small to be called a house, but t'was a home, I'm thinking, because you were there. It was night, and I had come back from making the world a bit easier for some poor woman's soul, and you were standing in the door waiting. The veil was gone, and there was love on your face. Oh, I've often dreamed a woman was waiting for me so, but because you hide your beauty from me, tis not for me to be asking more. God knows I have enough given me now. Since the first I've known you were very beautiful and very brave, I knew too that you were sad, that you had been through sorrows no man would dare to face. I've dreamed your eyes were like the first violets of spring, your lips deep scarlet like the winter berries, 
and I know the wonder of your hair, for the veil does not hide at all. I've dreamed your face was cold and pure, as if made from marble, yet tender too, and I well know that it's noble past all words of mine, because it bears brave scars. I've told you I would never ask, and I'll keep my word, for I know well tis not for the likes of me to see it, but only to dream. Don't think I'm asking, for I never will. But, spinner in the sun, because you said you would fare with me on the highway and face the cold and storm, it gives me courage to ask for this. If I close my eyes, will you lift your veil? And let me kiss the brave scars that were never from sin nor shame. The brave scars, beloved, ah, oh, if you will let me only once kiss the brave scars. Evelina laughed, a laugh that was half a sob, and leaning forward, full into the moonlight, she lifted her veil forever. End of chapter 26 End of A Spinner in the Sun by Myrtle Reed